Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. In, in a lot of ways, this is my favorite theme for a sermon, but I also recognize that it is counterintuitive. And, and I'm, it's, it's sad that it is counterintuitive because, let's just go ahead and jump right in. If you understand yourself to be Christian today, it has more to do with God than it does with you. If you, sitting where you are today, understand yourself to be a follower of Christ, if you are enjoying your salvation today, please know this, right? I completely understand and affirm that at some point in there, you had to choose. But you are choosing after God chose you. Man, you are not nearly as excited about this. I thought you'd be on your feet by now. I heard it not too long ago again. I don't think I can worship here. Why is that? Well, because you keep saying this thing, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. If that's true, is the response to that. If that's true, then why are we here? And what are we doing? If there aren't consequences, then how can I be Christian? Sat in that office right over there and, and listened as a worker who was going to leave our church said this out loud to the pastor, y'all. If, if I can't be threatened with hell, then how can I be good? Baby Quinn is here today. Baby Quinn uh, is uh, Nick and Jenny's, Nick and Jenny Tucker's son, and he's beautiful. And uh, thank you for bringing him to church. One of the things that he will learn sooner rather than later, right, is that God's mind about him is made up and the, and the news is good. And the hope is at some point he'll go, oh, I kind of get that because there was a long time when I was an infant that I was absolutely unproductive. <laughs> Unless it's stinky things, right? <laughs> Un unproductive. But during that time, when I could not be understood as an asset to my household, my parents loved me. Not because I was good, this is Quinn speaking, not because I was good, but because Nick and Jenny are good. God loves you. God seeks to save and salvage and rescue you but it's not because you're good. <laughs> it's because God's good. Great. So I can go do whatever I want to do this week. I can live like a hellion out there. That's not, not at all what I said. In fact, in fact, here's what I would say to you. Salvation, obviously, 
is you are somehow involved in that. I, I will still say, I will forever say, that God has done more of the heavy lifting than you will ever do, right? God, in God's goodness, reaches for you, reaches for you. At some point, you say yes. But even then, even then, it will be God lifting you out of the miry clay, right? You're not climbing out of that miry clay on your own, (laughs) y'all. It's because God's mind about you is made up and the news is good that you have a shot. Because if it was just left up to you, and by the way, if it was just left up to me, I think the miry clay would get me. Pretty sure the miry clay would get you too. And some of you are super sweet people. Still think the miry clay might just get you too. But God is good. Last week, I I told you I felt uh, woefully inadequate to preach this particular sermon about the grandeur of God, the the bigness of Christ, just the very expanse of Christ that we understood last week to be cosmic. The best I could do was try to use these incredible pictures from the the Webb telescope to say, yeah, that big, that cool, that good. And, And I will still say to you, I still struggle I still struggle with these feelings of inadequacy to try to put words to the bigness, the greatness of the God we see in Christ, right? Well, if last week, if I struggled to tell you how big God is, this week I will struggle and I will wrestle with my own inadequacy to try to tell you how good God is. Because about the point at which you hear me say something, you go, no way, that is too good to be true. I got to tell you, that's the point at which you're getting awfully close to salvation. Salvation. <laughs> if at some point you can go, wait a minute, this, this grace thing actually means, I mean, we actually mean it when we say that God's mind about us is made up of the news is good, that, that God, God can know all that there is to know. God can know more about me than I know about myself. And I know some ugly things about myself. And you're telling me that that God has already scooped me up? Yeah. Well, that sounds too good to be true. Oh, you're awfully close to the kingdom. You're awfully close to the kingdom. Here's another way to ask this question. What is it that motivates your faith? Where do you find the energy to be Christian? Where do you find the sources or the resources to forgive, to navigate a difficult workplace environment, to navigate a difficult family relationship? Where do you find the funding that you need, let's say, to love your enemies? I mean, it's clear that we're asked to love our enemies. It's clear. Where do you find it? Well, I find it in, in the fear of, of not doing it and what, and what will be the consequences and the punishment that I will suffer if I... Listen, and I've told this story before, so I'll only just sort of... It'll only be sort of a glancing blow today, but uh, like many of you, I got saved so many times at camp on Thursday night, amen? And sometimes it was guilt. Sometimes it was guilt. Like, do you really want... 
God to be disappointed in you. Well, no, I'm an oldest child. I, I lay awake at night not wanting to, for anyone to be disappointed in me. Well, they get down here to the altar so that God won't be disappointed. Okay, all right, I'll come down. One time, though, and this is the story I've told before, I mean, we have been guilty of trying to scare people into heaven before. Now, that doesn't make any sense to any of us today, I hope. But this guy had a trumpet at the back of the sanctuary. We didn't see him. And we were being threatened with the book of Revelation. And he kept talking about how at the, at the very end, there'll be this trumpet blast. And then that guy cuts loose on that trumpet. And right after I think I soiled myself, I got to the altar. I was only as Christian as I was afraid. I was only Christian so long as I was afraid. Turns out, fear and guilt are not sustainable resources as it has to do with energy for the life of faith. By the way, it's not for you either. Not, not really. I don't know, John, I've been very nice to the people around me and in the drive-through window for years and I hear that you struggle with that. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But hear me, where it matters, where it matters. When a country, when a world is tearing itself apart because we can't agree on anything. I mean, where we need Christians the most is in those moments of conflict. And the resources that you will need to be able to navigate conflict faithfully and Christianly, we talk about it all the time around here, those resources are not found in fear and they are not found in guilt. They are only found in the grateful, thankful response that there is a God who knows you and still chooses you. I, for me, I'm going to guess for you, but I will claim for me for sure, the only way for me to be Christian in an ongoing sort of way is for me to stay in close contact with this embarrassing sort of grace. Grace that found me out Grace that searches and researches the depths of who I am and who I am not and still aches for me and reaches for me. I was raised in a great home by Wesleyan thinkers and still somehow I was thinking something other than that sort of gospel as I went to school, graduated from school with reasonably good grades, right? But it wasn't until I was 25 that finally some, somebody finally cracked the code for me and said, wait, 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 wait. God loves you not because you're good, but because God's good. Man, it changed me. And I, and I had tried really hard to be good. I tried really hard to be good. Again, oldest dutiful child. Anybody else out there fit that category? Yeah. I've tried really hard. And when I failed, I felt the pressure to not tell anybody that I'd failed. In fact, felt the pressure to not fail, or at least not admit to my failures. I, that's exhausting. But when I got the relational math right, which goes something like this, no, 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 it's more God than it is you, and it's more the God who knows you and still chooses you, and so your life is lived not to try to earn something, which you already have. Your life is lived in grateful response to the non-score-keeping love of God that has always been yours. Oh my goodness, y'all. I lived a higher quality of life then in grateful response than I did in fear or guilt before 
aching for God to feel better about me. Anybody else? We have visitors here today, so if you guys could be better at the amen part, that would be great. (laughs) Not bad. Paul is concerned that he's got a little church in Colossae that's going to forget that they are who they are because of grace. Paul is aching for them to become who they already are, to become who they already are, the rescued people of God. Not because they have been good, but because God is so good. By the way, I'm quoting my friend Jason K. Smith there. He's really good about saying that, every disciple. In fact, he'll try to say it every time he preaches, and I like it. It's not because you're good, it's because God is good. Paul is writing to tell these people, no, God is good. (laughs) And that can be and should be and has to be the birthplace of faith and the sustaining energy of faith that God and God's grace in Christ, seen in Christ, is what can sustain a life of faith and the forward movement of the kingdom. So Paul says to them, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. That is, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. We're going to get into those plausible arguments later. For though I am absent in body, I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, Paul's quite a story, you know. I mean, he was Saul at one point, and he was an enemy of the faith. And you would think that an enemy of the faith would be on God's blacklist, right? But what did God in Christ do for Saul? He interrupted and intervened and rescued and salvaged Saul, not because Saul, who had become Paul, not because Paul was good, but because Christ is good. Now, did Saul, who had become Paul, did he have a role to play? Well, for sure. He had to follow those directions so he could literally see, literally see clearly enough to see what all was going on. But it started not because of Paul. It started because of Jesus. So he understands relationship with Christ to start with Jesus. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me ask you again, what is motivating your Christian energy? Whatever desire you might have to do the right thing, especially when it's difficult, what is motivating it? What can motivate it, what can motivate it is thanksgiving. That God, in being good, in Christ, sees something in you that perhaps you don't even see in yourself and chooses you when you might never choose yourself. He said, see to it, though, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. Okay, again, he's writing the letter because he has heard, through the grapevine, 
that there are these other ideologies that are seeping into the pores of the church and slowly but surely these competing ideologies, ideologies, they don't so much seek to destroy faith, they just seek to edit it so it looks less and less and less like, a, like the faith that is born in grace and more like, you know, the elemental spirits of the day. It, today, I would say it like this. When consumerism finds its way into the church, it's not trying to completely replace Christianity. It's so trying to flavor the discussion about Christianity that we start to have this deep sense that maybe there is something transactional about this faith. I mean, everything else is transactional out there. Hear this. Grace comes to us as a gift. Our lives are rescued and salvaged before we can do anything to earn God's grace. The world of productivity and scorekeeping comes with a different message. You earn your keep out there and you start to get the sense that you're only as valuable as you are productive. Working, getting paid, selling, buying, these things aren't bad things. In fact, last week we heard that they are God-created sources and resources meant to add resource and dignity and fulfillment to our grace-given lives. But somewhere along the line, Working and accumulating and buying and selling became a religion all its own. We call it consumerism. And that religion often comes into conflict with the one we see and hear communicated in this space. Grace gives us life, and yet we work for a living. There is a tension there, and it's okay that there is a tension there so long as the first place thing is the first place thing. We have to keep things in order, or instead of the boundless life that we are meant to enjoy, that would include systems of economics. And you probably have seen this before. When we get things out of whack, we suffer lives of bondage, captivity, debt. All right, here's another one. Hang in there, seatbelts, everybody. I'm gonna make you mad right here. Nationalism is another one of my regular punching bags here, right? God in Christ loves passionately, equally, and indiscriminately. And all God's people said? All right, not bad. But nationalism, if we aren't careful, preaches a different message. God loves us first because we are a Christian nation. Now, it's not just the U.S. that believes that. There are other nations that understand themselves to be Christian, but here we are. And if you're not one of those Christian nations, if you are like majority some other faith tradition, then you rank somehow beneath us somewhere. We, in fact, we believe you rank lower on the, on the ranking schedule, even where God is concerned. And perhaps you even deserve your destruction. But, but I need to remind us of this, and God I mean, if you need the scriptural references, I can give them to you. God's outspoken about this. Yes, God has chosen a people, and we understand ourselves to be one of these, these congregations. We're amongst God's chosen people, but it's not because God loves us more than God loves everybody else, <laughs> but God has chosen a people so that through those chosen people, God could reach all the people, all the people. <laughs> In fact, God's heart beats for the vulnerable, the terrified, the underserved, the overburdened, those who suffer. 
And anyone who for any reason causes that suffering should not hide behind the false shield of Christian nationalism. And all God's people said, not bad at all. It's not the only ism, right? So rugged individualism, I like it. In fact, it's got a place even in the, king, in the kingdom. Let's take some responsibility, right? But if we're not careful and it becomes, it can become a competitor ideology and it leaves us with the impression that we can actually merit or earn our spot in the kingdom or in the heart of God. And friends, you can't. <laughs> you won't. It's not because you're good. It's because, you remember, God is good. Verse nine, in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity of God dwells bodily and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. You don't need anything else. If you'll just preoccupy yourself with this Jesus character, everything else will take care of itself. Now Paul's writing this because there are some people who've come alongside these young Christians in Colossae and they're saying things like this. Okay, great, glad that you made the decision on Thursday night at youth camp, but now what you gotta do, you gotta do this, 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 and this. You have to believe like this and you have to vote like this and you can't spend your money there and you have to spend your money here. So you have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, or else you're not really in the in crowd. And Paul is writing them to say, well, that's a lie because you have everything you need in this Jesus character. I'm going to set you up again. You have everything you need in this Jesus character. And all God's people said. So you don't have to vote a certain way. You don't have to spend a certain way. Because actually it has more to do with God than it does with you. They were also saying, this, now this gets delicate and I'm hoping I can choose my words carefully and not be a YouTube sensation because we're gonna talk about circumcision, amen. Some of these folks are saying, yeah, you gotta go. The old faith sort of dictates that you, you have to do this whole circumcision thing. And circumcision, let's just, let's just say it like this, is a way that one marks oneself to belong to God. Okay, it's way more than that, but that's all I'm gonna say about it. <laughs> but this is a way that one can mark oneself and demonstrate that one belongs to God. And Paul's saying, wait, who's marking whom? <laughs> Paul's saying, look, in Christ, you are kind of circumcised already with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ who was marked. In fact, this is what we celebrate in baptism, when you were buried with him in baptism, perhaps right over there, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. No, you don't have to do those other things. You don't have to mark yourselves because in Christ, who has done all of the heavy lifting, you just gotta say yes, right? Who's done all the heavy lifting, the most important mark has been made and Christ made it. Do we believe that though? I'm gonna say it again. You have everything you need in this Jesus character. But Paul agrees with me. <laughs> Paul agrees with me saying, look, if you have been baptized, and by the way, this is not meant to be an advertisement for baptism, but if you've not yet been baptized, then some of your best days are ahead of you still. 
So please consider it. But Paul here doesn't just argue that the Colossians will someday rise from the dead. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is, in their baptism, they have already been raised from the dead and identified with Christ. Already you have this new lease on life that starts with grace, that starts with the God whose heart does not and will not change where you're concerned. I mean, think about this, right? Paul likes to liken baptism to the, what happened in the Red Sea. Remember this story? Israelite slaves were fleeing from their Egyptian, Egyptian captors, but they come up to the Red Sea. And then Moses touches the water and the waters part to the right and to the left. And miraculously, miraculously, the people of God are able to run across the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army tries to follow, but then the waters collapse on them in the Red Sea. It's kind of a hard story to read, actually. But I want to ask you a question. Were the people of God different on the other side of the Red Sea? Yeah, they were very different. All that captivity was in the past now. Their self-understanding, completely different now. No longer would they be understood as slaves. These are the people of God. Similarly, in the baptistry, if you let me, I will lower you into the water, identifying you with the death of Christ. In the water, you are marked, not by me, but by the God who loves you passionately. And then I bring you out of the water. And this is part of the reason that we we try to hoot and holler quite a bit when people come out of the baptistry, identifying you with the resurrection of Christ and saying right out loud, this person is going to be alive differently than they were before because all those other bondages and captivities are somewhere in the bottom of that pool and no longer calling any of the shots. Different. Verse 13 and when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. But John, I've done a lot about it. Yeah, well, okay. What you have on offer here is a clean slate. <laughs> because God is good. It even says it right here. The record that stands against us, against you, Jesus set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Are you willing to believe that? I mean, it is in the Bible. It says here, he disarmed the rulers and authorities out there. Okay. And made a public example of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. Now this is a, I believe it's, called, I don't know what it's called. Is it a fresco? Is this what this is, someone? Good enough, it's a fresco. Of a Roman military leader coming back home after a successful military conquest in which they often took their defeated, now captive enemy army and paraded them in front of their adoring crowd there, let's say in Rome. And what Paul is saying here is, all these other competitor ideologies, which by the way, did their best to destroy Jesus, right? All these competitor ideologies, now Jesus having won 
Jesus is parading all of these enemies as captives before all of us now saying, look, these are all the defeated parties. Ultimate consumerism, defeated. Ultimate nationalism, defeated. Racism, defeated. Ah, you're going to say, ah, yeah, but I, I still see it out there. Yeah, you do, you do. But our entry into these discussions about the evils of racism, <laughs> our entry into these discussions about the evils of cynicism, which can be debilitating, I promise you, it can be. The ugliness of nationalism, the ugliness of consumerism. We enter into those discussions now with the victory and the confidence of victory that we have in the resurrection because all of those things did their worst to conspire against Jesus. And you know what? They did pretty bad because they killed him, only it didn't work. And so we enter into all of these discussions, even the one about racism saying, yeah, but it doesn't have to have the upper hand. We can win because God won in Christ. Andrew Lincoln said it like this, by all ordinary standards of judgment, Christ's crucifixion looks like a victory for the violence of evil powers over God's purposes and the one who was the divine image. Christ was indicted, stripped, and nailed to the cross in the public humiliation of his death. Yet, Colossians can reverse this language because seen in the light of the resurrection, the death of the victim who has absorbed the destructive powers, the forces of these powers, becomes precisely the point at which their domination is decisively brought to an end. Their claims, their accusations, and their oppressive and divisive influence have all been subverted by a very different power, the power of the victim on the cross. Let's, let's boil it all the way down again. Have you ever, for any reason, felt unacceptable? Have you ever felt unacceptable to, let's say, a large group of people? Maybe it's a large group of people thinks your group of people is, for some reason, unacceptable. But maybe it's smaller, more granular than that. Have you ever been unacceptable to someone and you really wanted to be acceptable to that someone? <laughs> and so you feel the ache and the pain of not being acceptable to that someone in that moment. Have you ever felt that? And what have you done? How have you responded to it? Perhaps you've arched your back and you said, no, well, I don't even care then. Or maybe you have redoubled your efforts and you've said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be acceptable. In the simplest terms that I can muster, hear this. God finds you acceptable. Yeah, it's lots better than that. <laughs> it's lots better than that. But sometimes we say these other things so much that I'm afraid that sometimes it loses its, its teeth when I say to you, God loves you. We say it every week. And we aren't up on our pews, jumping up and down, when we probably should be. So let me say this to you again. No matter when it might have been or where it might be, no matter who it is that might find you unacceptable, God in Christ who suffers love for you, finds you eternally acceptable and, beyond that, desirable. 
That's a weird word to use there, John. Yeah, grow up a little bit. That's what I want to say right there. God finds you fascinating. The cross, as you've heard me say, is not a symbol meant to communicate how angry God gets at us when we don't do well, when we don't do right. The cross is a symbol meant to communicate how far God will go to demonstrate love when we aren't right. You are the loved, accepted, treasured people of God who are birthed in grace. And Paul writes to say to them and to us, become what you are. Become what you are. Here's what I hope. I hope that you're a little bit embarrassed that God knows everything there is to know about you and still finds you desirable and acceptable, is still chasing you around. By the way, the liturgy that we work on every week, there are lots of different ways that we communicate the same thing. We say it verbally with God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. But notice, too, that we ask you to come to the table with open hands to receive as a gift that which cannot be gotten any other way. We make it possible for you to come down here and and dip your fingers into this water. Properly understood, your baptism moment is the moment that we celebrate that you are absolutely acceptable and welcomed into the heart of God and the people of God, the kingdom of God. And I know that there are voices out there that work against that message. And so each and every week, we offer this water and we gather on the table to give us some ammunition, let's say, to give us some energy, some resource to say, no, I'm going to enter this world. I'm going to go enter back into my workplace, into my home, not as the person trying to earn my keep, but as the person who has been welcomed with open arms by the God who knows me and still chooses me. So at a quinceanera not too long ago, I heard Tamara sing a song uh, that's very familiar to all of us. It's, it's, it's all, I think it's a 50-year-old song called uh, My Tribute. Um, and Dr. Riegert is going to play that for her. And that is going to be our musical backdrop to our gathering around the table. So if you guys want to go ahead and, and come on up. And, and I, I think the words are familiar. I don't have them for you on the screens. But I want you to hear the, even if you've heard this song a thousand times before, I want you to hear this song. And I think it's even meaningful that it's entitled, My Tribute, says Andre Crouch. Andre Crouch, at least in the lyrics of the song, seems to get that the life of faith (laughs) is about God. It originates with God, that God has done something in me and for me that I could never have done myself. That is what we're doing around the table too. So here's how I wanna kind of paint this backdrop for us. I want Tamara to sing and Dr. Rieger to play the backdrop, but if you're helping us with communion, go ahead and come down front. And it will be while we're coming down that we will hear these words. So if you are visiting with us today, we take communion each week by intention. 
which means that at some point, if you are willing to, all are invited, but none are compelled, you'll be asked to stand to your feet and to come down front, or at least to approach somebody holding a plate of bread. Now it's important that you approach him or her with open hands because again, we're reinforcing this message. You can't earn this, it just comes to you as a gift. And so receive that piece of bread. Then take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. When you take the piece of bread, the person holding the bread will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. When you dip that piece of bread in the cup, the person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Once you then take and eat, then I'd ask you to find a place to pray. It could be at one of the side padded altars. If that's where you go, someone will meet you there to pray a prayer for healing. We'll assume that's why you're there. Physical, emotional, relational, whatever kind of healing you need, we'll pray for you there and anoint you with oil at those side padded altars. If you need to pray about something else, then come to one of these mourner's benches, kneeling benches up front, and we won't assume a thing. But at some point, we'll make sure that you know you're not alone. If you would like to make a special trip down here, we just have one, we're thinking about putting another bowl somewhere else. If you'd like to make a special trip to be reminded by the chill of this water that you belong and it has more to do with God than it does with you, then I invite you to come down front, dip your fingers into this water and remember the moment of your baptism. Now, who is eligible to come? Well, you're all eligible to come or at least anyone who understands her or his need of grace. If you understand you need grace, that's all you need to qualify you for this table. If you're uncomfortable with this, this kind of communion because you're, you're concerned, that's absolutely okay. The people in the aisles also have some prepackaged elements and they will be dismissing you by row. And if you'd like just to take prepackaged elements, there's bread and cup there, that is perfectly fine. It works just as well. And again, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But all are invited. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. That includes today. Remember that all of this starts with the heart of God. So Father, bless these moments and bless these elements and somehow God, crack our hearts and our imagination so that we can finally let this message in that it has way more to do with you than it does with us and give us the grace and the courage and the capacity to reach back to you. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
submit to you that, that is the only way to stay Christian. When Christianity is the grateful response to the great things that God has done, you can get there from here. I do not think you can get there in any other way. As we move into a moment of prayer, I'd like to ask you to get ready to confess how it is that the message of faith has been compromised by the elemental spirits around you? How is it that a competitor ideology has sought to somehow diminish or dampen this radical nature of this grace? The God whose mind does not change about you. Heavenly Father, help us now. Help us now to think through the ramifications of what we're hearing, that this all starts with you, is powered by you. And now God, draw our minds to whatever else it is that might tame this message and keep us from living fully into the privilege of being your people.
before I turn this over to Ken, who will lead us in prayers of petition. Hear this. May the Almighty God have mercy on us all and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. And Father, as we continue in our prayers just now, we thank you and we celebrate the fact that you do invite us to pray for one another. And in doing that, we become partners. We share with you in the, the miracles that you are doing all around us. And so congregation this morning, as you continue in prayer, pray for those, say a prayer for those who are battling devastating illness and diseases. Cancer comes to mind, and most of us, and maybe all of us, know someone today who is struggling with that. Lift them before God. And of course, that's not the only one, but others, diseases and illnesses that are so fear-creating, debilitating, Lift those before God. And we want you to pray for those who are facing surgeries or for those who are recovering from surgery, that, that God would work miracles, but that would also be making them more and more aware of His presence with them. COVID comes to mind. Lift a prayer for those who are struggling with COVID. Some who are right now feeling the effects of it and others who are just carrying that draining, wearisome recovery that comes. And just now talk to the Father about those that you know who are just struggling with life, who are hurting, who are carrying heavy burdens. And, and some of those may feel like they're out of your reach. You can't really speak to them and influence them for various reasons, but ask God to send someone across their path to let them know how much they are loved. Pray throughout today for those, for our high school teens who are returning from their mission trip. Pray that God would continue to, to make grow in them that spirit of mission that perhaps they discovered for the first time also pray for their safety as they travel and then would you lift a prayer for that stranger that you're going to meet today or maybe tomorrow perhaps the waiter or waitress at the restaurant 
someone that you maybe don't even know yet and certainly don't know the burdens on their heart. But God does, and God knows their name. And so just lift that individual before God, asking for his special blessing on them today. And in all of this, as you're praying for others, keep giving praise and thanks to him. And just now, as we conclude this time of prayer, let's pray together this prayer that Jesus shared with his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.